Welcome to the Amity Bible Church with our pastor, Dr. Les Smith. Dr. Smith is kicking off the first installment of the 30 Essentials, broken up in three months. We're inside of month one, the 10 beliefs, because our vision is to become the church that Christ intended it to be, to know God and to make him known as our mission. And we are committed to loving God, serving others, and are unashamedly obsessed with sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can always get the message online YouTube, Facebook, and our podcast that's aired on all major podcast platforms. Make sure you like and subscribe to all three. This week, Pastor Martin delivers the word. Follow along with us in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 through 24. Let's listen as Pastor Martin dives deeper into the subject. We're in a lesson series this month, Can I Get a Witness? And this week we want to share, using the sermon title, Soul-Saving Preaching. Soul-Saving Preaching. What we find here in our text is Peter, the Apostle Peter, is preaching the church's first sermon. It's on the day of Pentecost, the power of the Holy Spirit has been released to indwell mankind, the dwell believers, and, he, and pre, he has the privilege of preaching the first sermon. And as he's preaching that sermon, we find that he is laying the track for us to understand how important it is that the gospel message of Christ is coming, and his sacrificial death, him rising from the grave, and being demonstrated amongst men to be alive and well is an important part of our journey as believers. Now, the reality that we have today is when we see Peter, oftentimes we have uh, ideas of who he is because we hear of his stories. He's probably most well known of all the apostles. And the reality that we find here is that in this particular context, God uses him to do something that he had already purposed and predetermined to be done, that the gospel message would be proclaimed through preaching. Now, the Hebrew, the, the primary means by which God has chosen to communicate his message is through preaching. His soul-saving message of forgiveness, of sins, of redemption, of grace and love through this mechanism of preaching. When Paul says God, God has chosen the foolishness of preaching, because some, when we come, I remember growing up in, old, in, in, in the Missionary Baptist Church I grew up in, that as soon that, that the service, the deacon started the service. Anybody remember that? You grew up that way? We had devotional service. Yes, yes. Ah, he heard my cry. So the deacons would start, they had somebody, line, they were lined up across the front, and then somebody had a Bible, they're looking down to see who's supposed to read the scripture, and then who had the first song, who had the second song, who's supposed to pray. And as we would go through that process, I noticed something, that oftentimes, after they finished their due on the stage, they would go take their seat on the front row and get them a good nap. And yet... The gospel message of preaching is why we come. We come to worship and to hear from God, and yet they found it to be foolishness or not worthy to stay alert and attentive. 
But God has chosen this mechanism to communicate his program. It is a program that was already foretold by the prophet Isaiah hundreds of years prior. And Jesus came along and he fortified it and affirmed it when he stood in, his, in the synagogue of his home village, Nazareth. And he stood up and read from Isaiah 61. And he told them that the spirit of the Lord is upon me for it has put this calling upon me to preach the gospel. So there we find that there was the evidence hundreds of years in advance that God was going to use preaching as his mechanism for sharing the gospel. Now the Hebrew word that Isaiah used here when he prophesied this is a transliteration, or a transliteration rather, into the word we use preaching or the means of sharing this gospel. Or it also means to announce glad news or to carry or bring a message. So oftentimes we refer to preaching as that was a good message you had. So the, or, or, or to tell someone something good. We shared last week that it's, it is human nature for us to want to share something good. Trying a new restaurant, trying a new dish. We want to make that known to others. And so when we think about the good news, we must see it in the context of good news. And that God is declaring something to us and communicating a message for us. Now, it is also a derivative of the Anglo-Saxon word, Godspell. The word gospel is, is taken from Godspell, which means a, a good telling or good storytelling. And the understanding we have here is that it's also a rendering of the Latin word evangelium and the Greek word euangelion, which means good story or good message or good news. So when we understand the gospel, because if we're going to be witnesses, we must see it as good news, that I have a good message. I have a good message to tell. And so when Peter stands up on the day of Pentecost, he had been, there's fear that is running rampant because they've just seen Jesus be uh, crucified and their Lord is gone. And here he is, the one who was cowardice and fearful, stands up and makes some very pointed statements. He says, you men with your lawless hands, have taken Jesus and crucified him. He said, but it was already God's plan because God had foreknowledge and a foreplan that he purposed that you were to do this. But he also purposed that he would raise him back up. So this good news that we have is, yes, Jesus died, but he rose. He died, but he rose because here is the blessing of knowing that he rose is that he, before it all happened, he said, listen, nobody's taking my life. Now, you got to understand, to watch him be brutalized like this and know that he said, I'm doing this. I'm allowing them to do this. Yes. No man takes my life. I'm laying it down. But after three days, watch this, because it still belongs to me, I'm going to pick it back up. So here's the thing. We have Peter. Because as the song said, I'm a vessel full of power, Holy Ghost power. We have Peter who was cowardice and a character. 
becoming now a powerful messenger through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because early in this, earlier in this second chapter, in verse 14, here's what happens. It says, so, so, so the, the, the men and women are experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time, and it seems odd to the people watching, and they say, is this some new wine that they have? And Peter, the Bible says in verse 14, says, but Peter's standing up. The one who sat down and shrunk away is now standing up. And with the eleven, raised his voice with confidence and boldness and said, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. Right. You hear the power and the conviction as this cowardice person, by the power of the Holy Spirit, rises up. So yes, uh, uh, Peter, Peter, who, who we... Uh, oftentimes give a bad rap. I would tell you and I would caution you today, don't be so hard on Peter because there's a little Peter in all of us. There's a little Peter in all of us because if we're honest with ourselves, we get excited and, and, and misspeak, don't we? Just as he did up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus takes him, James and John, up on the mountain and allows them to get a glimpse of his glory. And while this is happening, there, there appears Moses and Elijah. And as they're standing there, Peter is afraid. He don't know what to say. And guess what he says? He said, Lord, let's build three temples up here. So God had to rebuke him and says, listen, this is my son. You listen to him. How about this? We often, always, we often act before we think. Because think about this. The greatest story about Peter's life is that he walked on water, right? But he didn't think it through. Peter had spent his life a fisherman. He had never seen anybody walking on water. Now, it was enough for him to believe that Jesus, being who he was, could walk, but he jumped out before he thought about it. Lord, if it's you, bid me to come. He gets out there and, then, and, and he looks around and he begins to sink. So how about, it? How, how about us? Have we ever jumped before we thought? Okay, uh, how about uh, doubting God? Because what did Jesus say to him? He said, Peter, why did you doubt? All of us in our effort, because faith is what gets you out of the boat. Here it is, though. But trust is what keeps you on the water. I don't want you to miss that. You got enough faith to jump out there. But when things don't look like you thought they would look, you got to trust long enough to stay on the water. So how many times have we doubted God? Okay, here's another one. Uh, how about um, getting angry? And reacting with aggression. Jesus spent the night explaining to them that he is going to be arrested and taken off to be crucified. But as soon as they show up, Peter jumps out. And mind you, he's a fisherman, so he's not carrying a sword. He's got a fillet knife. Something designed to, to harm 
harmless fish. He jumps out with anger and cuts off the servant's ear. And Jesus says, listen, Peter, if you live by the sword, you'll die by it. How about this? How many of us have ever wanted to fit in? So when Peter's out there and he's amongst the others, watching the trial go on, he wants to just blend into the crowd. And somebody says, no, 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 no. You are one of them. How many of us have shrank down when it came to identifying ourselves with Christ? So all of us can say that there's a little Peter in us. Or this last one. If you've not had it, had one, and I would say that you won't just have one. If you've not had a faith crisis in your life, it will happen. Because we understand that Peter had a faith crisis after he denied Jesus. It appears from the text that it looks like he had kind of distanced himself from the disciples. Because Jesus says, go tell the disciples and Peter to make it known to him, I want you to be there too. You may not be identified with me, but I still identify with you. But here's the thing. All that I've described of Peter and said that we all have that in us, but the blessing that we have is a three-letter word, but. Yes, cowardly. Yes, shrinking down. Yes, sometimes getting angry. Sometimes jumping the gun. But, but. By the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, we can do and be what we wouldn't be and do otherwise. Because we too, through the same power, are able to be someone that others say, I know you've been changed. Because the ways of sin is death, but. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Because unless God drops that conjunction in there and separates our used to be to what we are now, we will still be what we were. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, we're able to do and be what we couldn't be. So Peter is able to preach the first sermon. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit dwelling in him rose up in him and allowed him to do what he couldn't do otherwise. That leads me to my first point, because the message today is soul-saving preaching. So the first point today is this. The Holy Spirit is preaching's power source. The Holy Spirit is preaching's power source. It's important because any one of us here can take a, a, take a book or a text and learn the text and be able to communicate that information. You can pick up a Bible and read scripture. But the power of preaching is that God has placed his mantle upon the preacher that the preacher speaks under inspiration. So let's go back to verse 14. He says, but Peter standing up. Peter, the one who didn't want to be identified with the, with the disciples, didn't want to say anything to, to identify himself with Jesus, stands up in the midst of all that's going on. Stands up and says, hear my voice. Where he once was not willing, he becomes willing by the power of the Holy Ghost. And he preaches 
under the influence and inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So we see here that the Holy Spirit is the power source for preaching. Verse 1 through 4 in this same second chapter, slide up there and read this with me. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and filled the whole house where they were sitting. Verse 3 says, and there, were a, there appeared to them divided or clothing tongues as a fire and one sat on each one. That's what I want you to see, that each one of them there, God put his word in their mouth and put his power in their belly and then told them, go tell the world. Now, let me stop because I need to clear this, clear this up. As I said, there's a little, pre, little, little Peter in all of us because some of us are cussing Christians. So let me clear this up. Uh, 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 because we, all, we cite Peter as, well, you know, Peter cussed. I just want you to understand, he cussed on the other side of the bus. The cussing happened before Pentecost, but after the power of God in him, he's able to tame his tongue and, and know these words cannot flow because you can't have bitter and sweet water flowing from the same place. So the preaching came before the Holy Ghost. So you can't be a Christian, spirit-filled Holy, Holy Ghost guy or woman and then still walk around cussing, calling your wife bees and hollering at your husband and calling him low-down, dirty mm-mm-mm-mm's. Oh, Pastor, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to get that heavy on it, but I just wanted you to understand. We have to see the blessing of having the Spirit of God in us because he makes us. See, I used to cuss. Didn't mind giving you a line or two. And if you got next to me, give you a paragraph. And don't get me too upset. I might give you a book. Write you a good essay in cursing. But now by the power of the Holy Spirit. Something might, there's the bud. Yes, it is. I used to be, but God came and brought change in my life. The power of the Holy Spirit is the power of preaching. Acts chapter 1, they said you should receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Acts 24 verse 48 says this, until you are in, stay there in Jerusalem until you've been endowed with power from on high. If you're writing notes, write this note down. Because I said earlier, uh, anyone can grab text and communicate it. But note number one is this. Preaching belongs to the sent. We, some of us have the gift of teaching. And we are able to teach the word. But we have to be careful not to proclaim ourselves to be preachers. Okay, let's explain it. Turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Preaching belongs to the descent. Hebrews chapter 10, we're almost done. Man, Pastor just got started. Yes. It don't take long this week. 
Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. Here's what the word says. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? Here it is. And how shall they preach unless they have been sent? Does that mean that, that, that not everyone, because we're all called to carry the message. All of us are called. We're gifted to teach and share the good news. But we, honor, we want to make the distinction because, as I said, the, that God has used preaching as his primary mechanism for communicating the message. So ultimately, once I have learned and developed my, my biblical knowledge and understanding, it still requires me to still have me a preacher. I point this out because there are some who have learned enough Bible that they're, they're, they don't feel they need a pastor anymore, no preacher. They're home just kind of doing their own family studies together, still learning together. We can open the Bible for ourselves, and that is absolutely true. But no matter what you're doing, when it is in contrast to the Scriptures, because here the Bible says, how can they hear, hear without a preacher? There are certain things that God will only reveal through the servant by which he's called and sent. You can read that text over and over and over, but God will give a revelation to the man of God to share something with you that you did not see. So he says, how shall you hear without a preacher? And how shall he preach unless he's been sent? That moves me to the second point for today, the centrality of the cross to the message. The centrality of the cross to the message. Because ultimately, when Peter stands up, even though it would be offensive to those whom were listening, to hear him indict them about killing Christ, the message could not be, the, the, the cross cannot be lost in the message. Because it's in the cross or through the cross that we have the good news. Because the bad news helps us to understand what good news is. Here's what he said in verse 23. He says, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands and have crucified and put him to death. See, even though he was speaking of all the miracles and the signs and the blessing of, of Jesus and what he did in the earth, he made sure that he understood that the cross is at the crossroads of the message. Because it's at the cross that we understand that the good news of the gospel is revealed. Luke chapter 24, verse 46. You don't have to turn it, but just, read, just listen in to this. Then he said to them, thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for Christ to suffer. See, when we understand why Jesus had to suffer, he's suffering to pay the price for sin, to pay the sin debt. So the cross is essential to this message because once we come to understand that we are sinners and that we can be saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, we understand that that grace comes to us through the cross. 
I can be saved because Jesus died in my place. I don't have to suffer and die because he suffered and died in my place. I don't have to go through and feel as though I got to carry the weight of sin and the weight of guilt on my back because he carried it all and he nailed it to the cross. So the, the blessing of making sure that the cross is central to the message is note number two. Because the cross informs the good news. Because as we said last week, in order to understand something is good news, we got to be acquainted with the bad news. So one of the things that have been a tremendous blessing over the years to the born-again believer is the hymn. I know we've kind of gotten away from it. We love contemporary, we love ultra-contemporary, and some of us just like inspirational music. They don't even mention Jesus. The whole song is just he, it, in reference to the Holy Spirit. You don't even hear Jesus or the name, because the key is that in order for it to be gospel music, you got to lift up the gospel. And the hymns used to do that. Remember this old hymn, At the Cross? Let me give you some lyrics. Alas, did my Savior bleed? Did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done that he crawled upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace unknown, and love beyond degree. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burdens of my heart, they just rolled away. It was there by faith that I received my sight. And here it is. And now I am happy all day long. Why? Because at the cross, he carried my burden. Here's another one. Down at the cross. Oh, down at the cross where my Savior died. You know it. I want you to sing it. I didn't mean to do it that way. I, I said it up there. I'm sorry. But watch this now. You will? Oh, down at the cross where my Savior died. Down where from cleansing of sin I cried. There to my heart was the blood applied. Singing glory to his so most of us know it by that, 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 that one line. That's the name of the song, Glory to His Name. But it's at the cross. But look at this. Listen to this, this, this verse. I am so wondrous, saved, wondrously saved from sin. Jesus so sweetly, watch this, abides within. There at the cross where he took me in, singing glory to his name. See, the cross is central to the message, so we cannot lose the cross in the message. Here's note number three. The message cannot by any means lose the cross. Dr. Fleming Rutledge, in her book, Crucifixion, Understanding the Death of Jesus Christ, 
she emphasizes the, the centrality of the cross. But she also makes the case that the cross makes us uncomfortable. Because the cross doesn't align with the, e with the, the, the easily uh, expected expectation we have for religion. Religion should just make me feel good and give me the emotional uh, sense of comfort. But what she goes on to say that the, the message of the cross is the means by which we understand what Jesus has done for us. Because it is up on, it is at the cross where we are judged and justified. See, when God pronounces judgment of sin on Jesus on the cross, that's our sin. But through the cross, we become justified. So we're judged and justified at the cross. Here's what, what, what Timothy had, uh, Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. He says, listen, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearance in his kingdom, preach the word. I'll just stop there. He says, preach the word. Because there's times where you may tune in to someone and they may go all, an entire message without much word. Philosophies and ideas, modern themes and thoughts. Here's the thing. We have to be careful not to be looking for words that soothe. Because the Bible says that the word of God comforts. And there's a difference between being soothed, because I can say all kinds of things to help soothe your mind, but it's only by the truth of the Word of God that I can truly find comfort. Because here's what the Word says, we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures have hope. Romans chapter 15 and 4. So the blessing here is this. Paul says, preach the Word. Be ready in season. And out of season, convince, convince, continue to persuade and to share the good news. Here's the next one, rebuke. Sometimes you don't want to hear it. Sometimes it ain't what you're liking. Here it is. Sometimes it ain't what you're looking for. That's what my big mama used to say. What you're looking for. Convince, rebuke, but watch this, and exhort. So that's a balanced diet of preaching and teaching. Here's the thing. With all long-suffering and teaching, key, verse 3, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But according to their own desires, tell me what I want. Tell me what I like. Tell me that I, feel, that I should feel good. And you should feel good. You should be glad all the time, all day long. Why? Because of the cross. But here's the thing. Because they will have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. See, those, who be, those of us who understand the truth and know that we need it even though we don't want it at times, we have to support 
Bible preaching, Bible teaching pastors. Because the Bible prophesied that they'll, that they'll be heaped up. Those that won't tell the truth will be heaped up. They don't have a problem getting followers. Don't mind, the, the sermon, the, the, the message get, get, gets repeated time and time again. A good solid word, word passage or, or, or message we shared maybe once. Something that just makes us feel good. 20,000 likes in one hour. So we have to encourage Bible teaching, Bible preaching. Because he says this, and they will turn, verse 4, and I'm done with this, they will turn their ear away from the truth and be turned away to fables. You know, fables is a story. Tell a few stories. You got to search for the meaning. But the key is we have to understand that the truth of the word of God includes the cross. In Dr. Rutledge's book, he talks about also that there is a movement of those who would suggest that the Sermon on the Mount is too hard and should not be in the New Testament, but should be a part of the Old Testament. Jesus' greatest sermon, where he teaches so many things, and yes, he lays some things out that are difficult, but that that message should be pushed into the Old Testament because there's not enough grace or not enough feel good. The last point for the day, point number three. The message is a soul-saving message. So therefore, preaching should be soul-saving preaching. If the message is soul-saving, then preaching should also be soul-saving. Acts chapter 2, verse 24, look what he says. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that, they should be held, that he should be held by them. That, that the message of God's grace and his love being demonstrated and shared abroad in our heart through this good news. It must be preached. We shared last week the Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28. Verse 19 through 20, 19 to 20. Mark records it differently in Mark chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. And I want to read that for you today. He says, later he appeared to the eleven as they sat at the table. And he rebuked their unbelief and hardness of heart because they did not believe those who had seen him after he had risen. Verse 15 said, and he said to them, go into all the world, here it is, and preach the gospel, preach the good news, preach, go tell the good news to every creature. I want to stop there because he says, go tell the good news to every creature. And I want to share something with you because it's important to understand. He says every creature, not just those who look like us, not just those who uh, are in our circle not just those who look like us. Let me share a testimony with you. I was driving down the street one morning and I encountered a man, it was about 10 o'clock in the morning. I encountered an Afri African-American man who was already at that hour drunk to the point that he was almost stumbling into the road. 
And I said to myself, I began praying. I said, Lord, help that gentleman. I don't know what, what kind of brokenness he's experienced or what's happened in his life that causes him to feel that, that, that he has to be that dependent on this substance to have him in this state at this time of morning. But God, would you do a great work in his life and help him? The Lord set me up that morning because not even a full mile later, I encounter a Caucasian man in the same state, stumbling and almost falling into the street. And I said, what a shame. That guy is already that drunk at this time of morning. And the Lord hit me, boom. Do you see? My message to every creature, and yet you found such great grace to pray for the black man, but you had no compassion for the soul of the white man. And as I drove, I was feeling good that morning. I felt very good that I had prayed for somebody. But after the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I had to recalibrate my plans. Because every soul is going to have to bow down before the throne. No matter what color they're packaged in, they're going to have to bow at the throne and cry out and ask for mercy that comes through the cross. Lastly, for today, Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to turn there, please. Ephesians chapter 2. Because ultimately, if we understand the gospel message, we understand the need for this message to be communicated through preaching. So supporting your local church and, and your pastor and allow for them to speak truth and continue to stand on the word of God is important. But hear this message that Paul had to share in the second chapter of Ephesians. He says, but God, verse 4, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. And raised us up together, made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. See, the blessing of this message is understanding that we, in and of ourselves, are unable to satisfy the justice of God. Which is why Christ Jesus had to die on the cross that he might pay and settle the debt that sin had accumulated on our soul. But the blessing of this good news is that God is rich in mercy. The great love he shows to us through Christ Jesus and that we are now able to declare that we are free from sin and death because of this great love that he demonstrated and shared abroad in our hearts through this message of grace, of being saved by grace. 
through faith. Thank you for visiting the Amity Bible Church. If you're in need of prayer, counsel, or if we can assist you in any way, please don't hesitate to ask. If you would like to join, contact us, or receive these and other sermon notes, visit us at amitybc.org. Until next week, be blessed.